This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. This is Trumpet Hour on KPCG. I'm Philip Nice. A world superpower, an unbeatable military, a great history, a slow-motion implosion. Is this America, or Rome, or both? America under attack, America under attack. The trumpet is printing, promoting, advertising, expanding, reprinting, re-expanding this particular book. Why the emphasis on America under attack? And... There's ultimately one way to turn around a nation or an individual, but we keep putting it off. Welcome, Trumpet Hour listeners. This first week of spring 2023, we appreciate you spending some of your valuable time with us as we discuss our country, our future, and our and work our way towards some answers, some right answers. I'm here in our studio in Edmond, Oklahoma, with an old friend of mine, David Hill. Welcome to Trumpet Hour, David. Thank you for having me. Now, have you been on Trumpet Hour before? Uh, yes, uh, sometimes fill in for the news correspondents. And you have also presented here on KPCG uh, your own history podcast, Rewind, Repeat. Yes, that's correct. Now, I know you teach grade school U.S. history and early ancient history, and we want to talk about roman history here on this first segment so give us a synopsis of roman history such as an ancient uh literature like yourself uh, might require of a roman schoolboy. okay well i think we'd start with uh the fact that the romans were first under a monarchy they overthrew that monarchy much like the united states overthrew the british monarchy set up a republic That lasted for about 400 years. Over time, that republic gained control of the Italian peninsula, then the Western Mediterranean, then the Eastern Mediterranean. And as it expanded into empire, the Roman Republic government started to collapse. The people essentially, you could say, uh, degenerated to the point where they no longer supported the same ideas and... uh, traditions and customs of the Roman Republic that got replaced by the empire. And then you have the Roman empire now that lasts for about, uh, 500 years and they continue to expand, uh, conquering into Europe, conquering into the middle East some more. But then over time, they essentially get overextended or some people say they stopped conquering and start to face some outside threats and internal threats as, uh, you know, essentially the quality of government determines how the empire goes. And over time, the quality of government seemed to degenerate as well. And so you have some internal threats, you have some external threats, and the empire essentially collapses around, well, we say 476 AD. I think that's the kind of the established date. So that's the Roman empire in a nutshell. (laughs) So at its peak, can you give us a sense of how, just how powerful was Rome? So the peak is in about 117 AD. And it's, I think, hard to 
understand how powerful Rome was, especially relative to the other countries or kingdoms that were around it. I think one of the things that helps me understand how powerful Rome was is to think about the European armies after it collapsed. So you think about the Germanic kingdoms that succeeded it in Europe. You think about like even in the faraway provinces, places like Britain. And when you look at what those kingdoms were able to do, the size of the armies, the competency of the armies and the militaries, if you look at the history of the wars that were being fought in the 700s, the 800s, the 900s, up to the thousands, and you look at the casualty numbers, the size of the armies being fielded, you look at all of that, and I think one way to demonstrate how powerful Rome was is to realize that the Roman system and the army it was able to create, if it somehow existed in the 500, 600, 700, 800s, 900s, any Roman army could handily beat a, like a, a succeeding German army or kingdom so that you don't really even see the same size of armies. You don't see the same kind of competency in those militaries in Europe again until about 1100 AD. Oh, wow. So yeah, if you think about it that way, I think that's a, a way that demonstrates the kind of power it had at the time. Now it did collapse and it, and it failed because such an army requires a lot of logistics and supply and a huge tax base, uh, to, to create such an army. And once that was gone, the Roman army was gone, but they were pretty advanced and pretty solidly strong. Um, I think uh, another example of just how powerful it was is just to think about how easily it could handle any rebellion that broke out in the area. So I think trumpet listeners probably are aware of in the uh, 70 AD how the Romans destroyed the Jewish rebellion, completely crushed Jerusalem, raised it to the ground, and just basically wiped out that that kingdom. And that was just one example of what it was able to do. It was able to do that to the British. Um, I think in that in that time period, it was um, around 61 AD, and you had about 100,000 Britons rebel from Roman control. There was an army a Roman army of 10,000 and they're just so well armored, so well equipped, so well supplied, so well commanded that this army of 10,000 destroyed the Britain, the Britons of a hundred thousand. And that was the end of that rebellion. And Britain was solidly in the Roman camp until 410 AD when they, when Rome got sacked that first time. So you have examples like that in Eastern Europe as well, with the Dacian kingdom, you see that all around as as long as the Romans could field an army and supply it and equip it, they were dominant. And there's just no chance of anyone breaking away until they got sufficiently weak, weakened etern- internally, I think, economically and externally when you had enough threats. So Rome had a dominant military, something like the world had, had never seen. Uh, and... Imagine being in Rome, being in the in the capital city and seeing the architecture and seeing the the culture and the clothing and the entertainments. Um, 
it's like something that the I would think the world had never seen up to that point. Well, you, you definitely can tell that the people of Rome at a certain point could not imagine the collapse of their system. And you see that because at some point they adopt this, this kind of label for Rome, the eternal city. And when Rome was a republic, they had faced so many threats. They had beaten off the Carthaginians with Hannibal and he invaded Italy. They were facing... Gauls from the north that would come down and periodically invade as well. But you get to the point by around you know, 100 AD that they had never lost a war. They had never submitted to anyone or had to surrender ultimately. And they may have lost a battle here and there, but they never lost a war. And they never, so they never faced defeat. It was just unknown to them. Like to be Roman was to, to be victorious if if you were someone that was surrendering you're by definition not roman because <laughs> romans never <laughs> surrendered and so you have that label attached to the city this idea the eternal city that it would go on forever and how could it fall and i, and I think that is also pretty interesting because the roman empire was was pretty big and they they have uh, provinces they have border towns border cities and so some of what those Romans would have faced and some of the threats that they're dealing with or issues they're dealing with would have been so far away from what the people in Rome or in central Italy would have been thinking about or facing. The The size of the empire is pretty big. I think um, if you were to overlay the Roman Empire on a map of the United States, you you would see basically if you included the Mediterranean Sea, it would be around the same size as the United States. So it's still a little smaller. But it would take, you know, about a month or two to get from Rome to any, any of the province, provinces in the, in the outside borders there. So especially the people of Rome, the Italians, they were insulated from some of those threats. And for them, it was just one great empire. They would receive the tax income from the provinces. They would receive plunder or booty from conquests. A lot of that money would get thrown into the games and entertainment for them. It would be thrown into subsidizing grain and wheat for them to eat. They would see the temples go up, the uh, triumphant, victorious monuments that would spring up in the city. And it was just a constant, we're winning, we're winning. Things are great. They're receiving some benefit from it. And it was it was just uh, a great time for them in the in the early time of the empire. Now, that was an immense uh, empire, as you say, an, an ancient superpower, if you will. You and I also helped with the February issue of the Philadelphia Trumpet, which was titled The Modern Romans. Uh, this might ring a bell with some of our listeners who know a title by that name published by Herbert W. Armstrong in 1971. Uh, we have one in the works as well. But you learn a little bit about that history, what you were just talking about just in, just now. Uh, you walk the streets, or you see pictures of Washington, D.C. Uh, you see the beautiful Greco-Roman architecture in that city, and you think, uh-oh, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, we have a superpower. We have a dominant military. We have, I think it's seven carrier uh, groups, uh, aircraft carrier groups. How does the Roman superpower 
just briefly compare to the American superpower? I think that's a, an excellent question. These comparisons are important and, and I think they are ones that Americans can understand. As I mentioned earlier, Rome had overthrown a monarchy, America had overthrown a monarchy. We have a republic, they have a republic. So there's a lot of similarities there. Uh, but of course, at the, uh, the Principate time, the Empire time, that was when Rome was its strongest. And I think <clears throat> if you were to compare United States power today, you'd think more in, the, in those terms of the, of the Empire days. And I think as far as power goes, it's just there was no one there until really the 300s that could really challenge the Roman Empire. Now, there are times where they had faced some threats in the 200s, but given quality leadership, they always came back. They had enough resources. They had enough uh, infrastructure to supply the, the legions to get them back into action and, and defeat their enemies. So I think I think to me that the comparison that probably um, impacts the people the most today is just that, that idea. Like you ask an American if they can really imagine the downfall of the United States. And while I think some can see the threat and they can intellectually understand that, that it can fall. If you were to ask the average American, they, I don't think it is possible to really imagine. You can tell by the decisions people are making today. You think about the, like the debt that people are getting into spending habits, the, things that occupy their time, um, entertainment, things like that, like Netflix and streaming. And by their actions, they're not demonstrating a true understanding that this is this could collapse. And so to me, it's this idea that you have this powerful um, empire in place that at the moment looks like no external threat can overcome. And yet we know that empires collapse. And so understanding, like not, well, the population not really understanding that or living like as if they do. And you look at the government legislation being passed and, the, and what they're focusing on and all this talk about these long-term threats like climate change that the science doesn't show anywhere near the kind of threat or urgency that's needed for for the legislation that's being considered about that, or you look at uh, the fixation on pronouns and all of these things to me, just demonstrate that people don't have a clear grasp that this could all fall. They think United States, the eternal nation. And we know the trumpet has been publishing a warning message about that very thing about America falling since the trumpet began in 1990. Uh, the Key of David and KPCG have been broadcasting that same consistent and less than popular <laughs> message. And I, I think, as, as you and I will discuss here in, in, a, in a few minutes, um, maybe it's not as hard of a thing to convince people about as it was, or even as it was in 2013 when America Under Attack was first published, that this idea that there's something at stake, that our actions have consequences, our fixations, our entertainments, 
they have a, a an effect on our nation as a whole. And as you say, empires, nations can fall. In fact, they always do. The Egyptians, the Akkadians, Babylonians, Assyrians, Greeks, Persians, Romans. And when that collapse came in Rome, it was catastrophic. It was complete. We're discussing Roman history and the parallels with America with a history instructor and the host of Rewind Repeat, David Vigil. We'll be right back. So from ancient Rome, we come to modern America in this week in which Secret Service presidential protection officers and Metro Police have reportedly been discussing handling the possible arrest of a certain man on comparatively minor, creatively interpreted charges, a man who coincidentally was and will be the sitting president of the United States. Uh, David, it's not the Praetorian Guard exactly, but this kind of craven, calculating, and open struggle, uh, selective use of the justice system, uh, this pretty open, raw war for power over the most powerful nation in the world, uh, reminds you more than a little of the Romans, and this war is the central focus of a certain book that Uh, The PCG publishes America Under Attack. Uh, This book by Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Fleury is featured right now at thetrumpet.com slash literature. And Trumpet Hour creator and elder statesman Joel Hilliker uh, is working on an updated version of that with uh, assisting Mr. Fleury due as a hardcover edition for March 31st due to be sent to the printer by the end of the month and that's one of the many projects he has moved on from Trump at Hour to work on for the editor-in-chief. Uh, but in addition to teaching early ancient history you manage some modern online marketing for the trumpet promoting the trumpet and America Under Attack and other media produced by the PCG. How have we been promoting America Under Attack recently? We've launched a campaign that um, is both online and uh, print to just get that book to as many audiences as we can. So we've done just your your typical banner advertising, and that was mostly done to just test our copy and, and the creative and see what resonates with people. We've reached out to various conservative online media platforms um, like Town Hall and um, we've we've advertised in those places like Epic Times with emails and banners just introducing the book and inviting people to download it or order it for free. We've also 
re, uh, we've we've also started advertising on um, Truth Social. So a lot of the social media platforms where you have a lot of the attention of the people these days, they don't allow for a political advertising, and especially not the kind that we would like to say, not not the kind of messages that we like to say. So we've been branching out to some of the more conservative social media platforms. The audiences are a lot smaller, but the message there can go without getting, um, without getting banned. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, so even though that's a smaller audience, I think it's a more receptive audience there as well. So we've, we've gone into all those areas online that we can, and we feel like is, is worth it, but we've also gone into print. So we advertise with the Epic Times newspaper and we're looking into advertising into TV now. So that's kind of the next next step. And then we'll just see kind of where it, it resonates the most and, and try to put more resources into those platforms that we had the greatest response and, and keep it going. And not just for America Under Attack, but other booklets that we offer and even the, the Philadelphia Trumpet. So... Um, it America under attack is the spearhead, but we kind of view this as a way just to get the entire Philadelphia trumpet message out to new people. There is quite a, uh, large message, uh, with, uh, as you say, America under attack being the spearhead, there's quite a lot, uh, behind that, uh, as we'll talk about in this program in the future, just how much, uh, is available to our listeners and to our, our readers. Uh, but yeah, you, you shared with me the, the email, um, promotion, the banner ads, uh, you and I have worked on print advertisements a little bit. And as you say, there are other things that, that, uh, other books, other programs that the PCG advertises as well. How does this campaign compare to advertising another, uh, you know, the, the next most recent book besides America under attack, is this really a, a special advertising campaign because it appears to be everywhere right now uh, within the trumpet media america under attack america under attack or order america under attack uh, is there something uh, is this campaign a little a little bigger than normal and and why would that be so this campaign is is really special i would say it, it's probably the the biggest that we've had for a specific book or a specific piece of literature we've done campaigns in the past with mission the ages and some of those really impactful books but um, for America Under Attack, we definitely have allocated more resources for it. It's been going for longer as well. And it's so big because going back to like the previous point about waking up people to the fact that America's collapsing, this is the book to help people see that. It's the book to expose what's going on in the government and the uh, treachery of the Antiochus type that we've had in the betrayal from the top. So it's a message that I think we can all see that there, there are definitely a group of Americans out there that are open to the, to the idea and to the information that that's provided in that book by Mr. Joe Fleury. So it's, it's striking while the iron's hot, so to speak. And as long as we still see the crazy deep state corruption going on, as long as we see the, puppet presidential administration under Biden just being manipulated and making some 
I would describe as suicidal decisions for the nation. There's going to be people that want to know what's going on and what's behind it, what's causing it. And this is what the book explains. And then unlike any other um, media publisher out there, one, we're not afraid to point the problems back to Obama. And that's a, that's a place many commentators just, they don't even mention his name. We're not afraid to talk about the election steal. And while there are slowly more and more conservative commentators out there willing to address that, very few still um, will even will even entertain the idea that it could have possibly have been stolen. So that's all unique. But then, of course, really what makes it unique is just that prophetic perspective and, and knowing about the spirit world and 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 why America is under attack and that there's this being that's just trying to destroy America and blot out the name of Israel and then where where is it all headed? So we're very unique for many different ways and I think that's another reason why we're putting more resources into it because it, no one else is talking about those subjects like we do and we're one of the few that are just bold enough even on the like purely secular level calling out those issues and then you add the, the spiritual element to it and it's it's just a one-of-a-kind book this is trumpet hour i'm with online marketing manager david v hill and we're talking about america under attack we'll be right back Welcome back to Trumpet Hour. I'm here with online marketing manager David Vigil, who promotes the trumpet and, as we've been talking about, America Under Attack. This book is important enough to have its own website. We have americaunderattack.com. You can order it there, and I highly encourage you to do so. It's also available, of course, at thetrumpet.com, but go to americaunderattack.com. David, we talked about how we're promoting on True Social, Rumble, Town Hall, Real Clear Politics, uh, various banner ads, the Epic Times print edition. We're trying to get the the message out there. We're trying to uh, give people this free book, spend resources, spend money to advertise a free book and not ask for any donations or anything in return. We're trying to get this message out there. Uh, we've had to, as you said, some many platforms will, will reject it. In a perfect world, let's say things blow wide open, your budget increases manifold times, uh, you can advertise wherever you want. Where would you advertise? What would you love to see? Where would you love to see big America under attack advertisements? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I, you know, the funny thing is, 
in many ways were were less limited by budget uh, than the policies of the of the places where people are spending their attention at. So you think about like YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, and you can't even put the message out there. I we tried advertising something as as least controversial as we could think, like Mystery of the Ages, and that got that advertising got banned by Facebook. Uh, so. I think we're actually more limited by just the policies that the companies have in place. But I, I think if I were to just imagine where we could go, I, it would be great to somehow get into the streaming services that people are pretty hooked on Hulu and some of those other places that do allow from advertising that, that would be pretty incredible to, to advertise on. Of course, I'm sure it would frustrate a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> they may not be as open to the message as, as the audience on Truth Social or places like Rumble. <laughs> yeah. One day, maybe. One day. We'll, we'll see. We're, we're trying to get the message out. But people, as you said, people are asking questions. People are wondering what is going on. They know something, like you said, is going on. And, and it's affecting multiple huge sectors of American life. Like, it's not just one part of American life. And it's targeting the values, the virtues, should we say, uh, the traditions, the good parts that are left in this, in this country. And it's targeting our culture and our thinking, uh, not even so much our economics, our bodies, our military hardware, the traditional ways that you attack a country. Those are under attack in a, in a less direct way, perhaps. But you, people are asking, people have to be asking, what can be causing all these different things? And then here is a book that says Bible, this is quote, Bible prophecy will help you understand the treason in our country. Bam. That's it. That's the claim. Bible prophecy will help you understand the treason in our country. That is a big claim to make. Obviously it's huge. I mean, how could that be? Uh, how could, how could Bible prophecy be talking about people like Barack Obama and his, he is names are named in America under attack very directly, very specifically. And it, and it ties them to Bible prophecy. Like, how is that possible? How could nations and, and entities and those prophecies from thousands of years ago equate to the department of justice in 21st century America? You're going to have to look, you're going to have to order that book uh, no obligation, no no price, no cost, and find out and have a look and and prove it for yourself. There is a lot going on right now. There's a there's a people recognizing that there's a pretender to the throne in Joe Biden that the the leadership of America was usurped. But even among the 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 considerable number of people who believe that, there are true statements and false statements. There are things that seem to be true that turn out not to be true and there are things that seem not to be true that turn out to be true look at america under attack read that book and see if the specific things in america under attack withstand the test of time whereas you know your favorite conservative blog gets some things right some things wrong see if america under attack doesn't stand the test of time and help you understand the treason in our country using bible prophecy We'll be back in a minute.
Hello again, Trumpet Hour listeners. We've been talking about America under attack. We've been comparing it to uh, ancient Rome and its unparalleled power, the superpower of its day, and how the superpower today is is under attack. And the scope of that attack is incredible. As we said when discussing the book, America Under Attack, go to americaunderattack.com. Uh, but the scope of that attack is not just one aspect of, of American life, but across multiple unrelated huge aspects of American life. And, and one of the attacks that's uh, maybe not so so well recognized is on American health itself, the actual physical, personal health of, of Americans. And it relates to the, the national attack. Uh, this problem with our health is so intractable that we are redefining it and 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 saying it's not a problem at all we're the uh, health is not so much under attack it's 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 fine to be unhealthy we're going to talk about health in our next segment with a registered holistic nutritionist and certified personal trainer from british columbia jorg mardian and by my count mr mardian has recorded 75 programs on trumpet hour about health with trumpet hour creator joel hilliker and he joins us now can you tell us about uh, how physical fitness affects our day-to-day lives well physical fitness is an indicator of our body's strength and stamina and it determines your ability to work with um, vigor to avoid excessive fatigue um, it's important for enjoying, say, daily hobbies and recreational activities, and it prepares you for unexpected situations in life. Um, basically, our physical uh, condition is determined by the strength of our muscles. So whether we're weak or strong, energetic or lethargic, and those people who don't exercise regularly or otherwise they don't lead uh, demanding lives, um, typically, they experience a 10% muscle loss per decade, which is fairly dramatic um, once they reach their 30s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, and it gets worse after that. People in their 50s and 60s experience up to a, a 15% loss per decade. And then after that, uh, we basically fall off the cliff. So it gets up to a 30% loss per decade. You know, and that's where you have those problems where you fall down and you can't get up and such. So it's pretty important that we exercise to slow down that decline. We engage in uh, aerobic and anaerobic exercises. So basically, anaerobic exercises are, are those like weightlifting. They help build the muscles and strengthen the bones. That's what we all need. And the aerobic exercises, they improve your cardiovascular health, your heart condition, and you can do stuff like jogging or brisk walking. It doesn't matter as long as you're doing something. So muscles require that we use them in order to maintain good health. You know, when they're not utilized, if they're not given enough activity, they just become weak. They, they just shrink. So um, we all lead busy lives. And we say, but when we say we don't have enough time to exercise, what we really mean is that we don't prioritize our health and wellness. And I don't mean that to be uh, rude in any way. It just means we're all busy. 
we're all busy, but we have to make time for this. The needs of the human body remain constant. They just don't change. 10% muscle loss. Uh, that's, that's dramatic as, as you say, and 15%, uh, it, uh, you, you start to see how it does, uh, start to fall off the cliff. If we don't make this part of our daily routine, we do have uh, sedentary lifestyles. Uh, we sit, uh, I was thinking we, we sit in boxes, we sit in a box with wheels on it. <laughs> uh, we get out, we walk up into a larger box and uh, sit down sometimes in a row of boxes, cubicles, uh, type at a computer, let's say, uh, get back in our box with wheels, go sit, sit in our box at home. And, uh, this is a, a pretty unnatural way to live. And yet it's very natural, uh, to us. So what are the, um, what are the key quality of life issues between the sedentary lifestyle that I'm describing, sitting in boxes, <laughs> uh, sitting down a lot and this more active, which uh, lifestyle, which you're not saying, you know, you've got to lift weights, you've got to, you know, it's just, it's a, just merely an active lifestyle. What are the key differences? Yeah. So I, I like your analogy, the box lifestyle. <laughs> that's uh, that, that's just a, a really apt description of that. So let's put it in, in, in the analogy of two fictional characters, right? Two opposing lifestyles, one sedentary and one fit and see how it affects them. So I'll talk about the first one. We'll call him sedentary Bob. Sedentary Bob. <laughs> um, so basically, we all tend to think of exercise in big chunks. So we put in the effort, we sweat, we receive a compensatory, stronger, and leaner body. That's what we think of as exercise. But there's a lot more to that. There's so much more to the equation because the CDC says 25% of adults are inactive today. That's, that's a large chunk of the, the population. 25%, so, you say? Yes. Wow, one in four. So, you know, as a couch potato, Bob fits that narrative. You know, he he spends eight hours sitting in his box, office chair. He, he goes home, spends the rest of the day in front of his television. Um, he doesn't like physical activity because he's tired from sitting in his box. You know, he's overweight, diabetic. He's suffering from heart issues. And he's also embarrassed because of his fitness levels. You know, it, it's, it's a common lifestyle today because we don't work hard anymore. But Bob doesn't understand that. He just has a, a passive outlook on fitness. And that's already affected his entire life. But he doesn't think about that. As a child, Bob had poor development of motor skills like running, jumping, and playing sports. You know, he suffered from reading and writing skills, um, early weight gain, and other health problems. Nobody put it together. The studies show that there's a connection with all of this. Um, his parents never gave in to his demands for less activity. You know, they, sh they should have uh, driven him a little more with that. They didn't realize that lack of exercise would lead to, would lead to a, a weak, uh, fatigued, sickly body in their child. You know, and a mind that suffers from... Uh, stress and depression and a weakened immune system. And, and that was their child. Nobody put it together. So when Bob reached middle age, you know, this continued lack of physical activity and increased girth that he put on, it resulted in disease. Now, what happened? 
He had to limit his intake of certain foods and beverages. You know, he had to restrict what he was eating. He was on medications. He had um, regular checkups, monitored his blood sugar, cholesterol levels, so on. Wasn't putting it together, you know. And doctors really don't understand that either. I mean, they're so quick with the prescriptions. Bang, 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 here you go. This will take care of it. It's not the lifestyle. You know, they, they might give lip service to it, but they're not really helping people out. And so Bob started to see the significant impact on his quality of life right here. And, you know, and then Bob gets old and his sedentary lifestyle has led to a dramatically lower quality of life. He, he doesn't get around like he used to. He falls frequently. Isolation is a way of life because he doesn't remember to call his friends to help him out. You know, his, his, his mind's not what it was. It's just a sad ending to a life that could have been so much more promising by including a bit of fitness. And if we go the, the other way, we'll say Tom, Tom, fit Tom, is he's, he's an extremely fit person. Now, he engages in regular physical activities. You know, he was strong and active as a child. He, um, that lifestyle just helped shape his body firm bones, muscles, you know, he was tall, good looking, he excelled in physical and mental development. You know, he, as he grew to adolescence, his love of that lifestyle, which you carry with you, it's something you learn, you know, it helped him become regimented, self-confident, he thought clearly, um, he was excellent in school, and he had success in many areas of his life. And again, I want to stress that all of what I just said is proven in studies over and over. There's, you know, there's no debate on that because we know that from countless studies. We can see that a fit lifestyle helps you to have a successful life. And that's why you know, research shows there's cognitive benefits of exercise that's so compelling. It, it helps us to soak in information and be more productive. It you know, top leaders in nearly every field are the ones who engage in regular physical exercise. If you read up on the top leaders, they all do it. Why? Because it protects their health, it protects their skills, it protects their productivity. They know it. They'll tell you about it. You read a biography, what's in there? Well, a big part of my life is fitness. Fitness, fitness, fitness. It's just a recurring theme. So, Fitness isn't, to me, it's not a personal indulgence. It's an activity we should do all the time. It's something we should think about, just like our job. You know, I tell my clients, you may be successful. You may have made millions at your work. But you treat your body like a pauper. You know, you can't come home. You, you can't be regimented in your work and then come home and have a bologna sandwich and a pop. It doesn't even go yeah. together. You are your business. Your body, if without you, there is no business. Why would you separate the two? You know, well, that's a clear distinction. I mean, uh, sedentary Bob and, and fit Tom. And, and when you start to look for the fit Toms in leadership positions and, and in just success in, in different parts of life, uh, you find them, you see them you know, once you know, once you know to look for them. And that, as, as you say, that's a clear contrast. I think a lot of us are closer to the sedentary Bob, uh, situation and we want to be the fit Toms, but 
it seems like a long way to get there and i and to even start uh seems seems like a a hurdle too too great to clear and so i I think people do think about it i think listening to uh to you people do think about it they they begin to put it together uh but you know they're not children anymore um they're in a situation where it's hard to to get out of that mold of being sedentary bob you were contrasting these two opposing lifestyles what is it that can get us to that first step is it is it is having the end result in mind that can help move us from sedentary bobs to fit toms yeah that that's an excellent question and and that's really why people would seek out an expert they make a decision but they say you know what i don't know how to do it you know the, the first part you you might want to seek out an expert you might want to see a trainer it's not necessary i think what people have to do is reframe physical physical activity as part of their life make it a component of their life because we look at it as a separate component like i said if i do this i receive this but is it really necessary because if i don't do it, it takes a long time to get out of shape and then when i'm finally out of shape and i'm suffering then i'll do it and it tends to creep up on us you know and we can't think of it as abandoning our personal time that's not what we're doing we're look at it as, as ensuring that the hours you put into fitness equates to life value and quality it equates to especially in later life we lose so much muscle that we get weak and decrepit and then we can't spend time with with uh, adult children or grandchildren i just heard the story of a client who was so weak um that he can't spend time with his grandchildren you know and that and that's really too bad so we have to keep this in the forefront of our mind um to avoid disease and and becoming decrepit you know uh you're not going to slow down if you stay active um, your body's going to stay at a healthy weight and you embrace that lifestyle your mind stays sharp and you have that vitality that you need you have to understand the pattern between the two If, if you don't frame that in your mind it doesn't become important you know a third of the aging process is due to heredity that's it, and biological factors. Two-thirds is based on lifestyle choice. That's huge. That's That tells us that we have to do a lot, you know. And so if we don't take responsibility for how we live, um, we suffer what what's called confirmed risk factors. And then we, you know, people end up with um, full of medicines and they end up surrounded by doctors and hospital beds in their last year. It's just, it's so sad and it's unnecessary. A lot of it, um, the end stage of this process, the uh, sedentary process, it causes more deaths worldwide than cigarette smoking or diabetes. You know, it's quite dramatic and it's now the fourth leading, I think the fourth, fourth leading risk factor for death worldwide. It kills more than 5 million people a year. Um, just as as a lifestyle component, you know, and one of the statistics I looked at and I thought, is this really true? Um, people who were the least fit, um, they had a 500% increased risk of dying early. You know, I had, I had to do a double take on that. 
So really what we're talking about is an unnecessary burden on healthcare, an unnecessary burden on families, on everything around us, our friends, brought on by one astoundingly simple decision not to exercise. So why would anyone deny themselves a life with a strong body and sound mental health, with um, freedom from disease? Why would you not want to be brim, brimming with uh, vigor and vitality? We all age. We all get you know aches and pains, but you want to make, remain productive. You want to have a family where activities around you are still going on, and you want to be able to have the grandchildren, get grandpa's full attention. Even if you're young, you're going to be a grandpa or grandma, and you're going to want to play with those children. So that's what it's about. You want to have that vitality in life. So frame your mind around your entirety of your life, not just a moment. Eat and sleep and move. <laughs> You've got to move. <laughs> Make it part of your, your routine. So our segment comes to a close. Our listeners get up, they go about their day. What do you want the listener to have ringing just in the back of the mind as they go about their day uh, after listening to this segment? Right. So we, we talked about our personal responsibility. So one third, we, we really, you know, sometimes we don't have control over, but two thirds is in our control. That's a lot of responsibility. So God designed the human body to function best with a moderate amount of vigorous physical activity. And like you said, you know, sunshine, water, sleep, fresh air, and all of that. So that two-thirds is what includes that. So maintaining that muscular strength and overall health uh, will preserve the quality and vitality of your life over time. But it won't happen without effort. So if you stick with it faithfully and consistently, a little exercise provides a lifetime of health. That's Jorg Mardian. This is Trumpet Hour. I'm Philip Nice. This is Trumpet Hour. I'm Philip Nice. And last of all, I want to ask you this. Is the situation in America so different from physical fitness? Well, yes, it is. America is under attack in its politics, its economics, national security, international relations, relations between Americans, between regions and incomes and sexes and parents and children. It's under direct attack in teaching the right judgment of history, in teaching right and wrong itself. It's under direct attack in what it means to be an American, what it means to be a man, a woman, a human being, who it is we should be. And that's different than physical fitness. It's different than knowing you should exercise but not doing it. 
But in one important way, it is exactly the same. All of these attacks depend upon individuals, men and women, you and me, not doing anything. They depend, these attacks depend on us allowing those influences into our lives in some way. These attacks depend on us not doing the uncomfortable thing, having the uncomfortable conversation, standing up, saying no, having an uncomfortable situation with a coworker, with a family member. These attacks depend on us not standing up and making a move. In physical fitness and exercise, we know we should move, but nothing matters until we move. And we have gotten uncomfortable with the attacks without even realizing it. We're in danger of getting comfortable with the next attacks, the things that we hate to see happening to our country, happening in other states or, or in the capital city, or coming out of Hollywood or wherever it might be. But the things that we were uncomfortable with, the things we did hate, the things we did recognize five, six, seven, ten years ago, we're comfortable with. Maybe we still recognize that it's a, a bad thing overall, but we have gotten comfortable with it. And whether we recognize how these things are influencing us or not, it's definitely easier not to do anything. It's definitely easier to not get uncomfortable. It's much easier to know. I speak from experience. It's much easier to know, but not to do. So I have great respect for the middle-aged mother out there who knows she should start an exercise habit and does for the teenage student out there who has been told to change a behavior and changes it. It's a greater thing than the most knowledgeable person with the best voice and the nicest appearance rattling off knowledge faster than you and I can even understand it. That's, that's impressive, but who out there, whoever you are, who knows that you should do something and faces the uncomfortableness and faces the humbling aspect of doing what we know we should do, I have great respect for you, and I want to emulate you myself. We know it, we have to do it. Knowing does not matter until we make a move. And that's it for Trumpet Hour. Thank you for sharing this time with us. A sincere thank you for spending your valuable time uh, with us. We thank production assistants Nick Irwin, Parker Campbell, and Jesse Hester. Visit us there on thetrumpet.com and email us at letters at thetrumpet.com, letters at thetrumpet.com. And thank you again for joining us on Trumpet Hour. Trumpet Hour.